amazing to hear Henry's story and just watch Henry. You see how he lit up? I mean, I, and it was kind of dark. I don't know if you can see the whole thing, but, oh, man, it was amazing. Music can do some amazing things on the power of music. And it's funny how science is just now catching up with what God already has in the Word anyway. <laughs> rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Um, Pastor Chris, we want to keep him in prayer. Everything's great. <laughs> he's doing fine. But um, he's in residency at Regent University in Virginia Beach, and he'll return Sunday. Um, so we want to make sure that we keep him in prayer. All right? Um, while we're at it, let's go on the flip to Psalm 57. And I, you can get ready to cue that up. Um, while you're turning, I also want to give out a, a shout to Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then um, this Wednesday, we have our festival of prayer here. All right. 630 p.m. All right. 630 p.m. Don't come in the a.m. It'll just be you, the locked doors, and the people who are running at Radnor Lake. So 630 p.m. All right. Uh, let's go to Psalms 57. Mm, mm, mm. 57. Let's start at verse 1, actually. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. Let's stand. Can we do that? I like to stand. I'm sorry. What version you got? NIV? You got NIV up there? Nyla? Yeah. Put, let's, let's put that one up there. And let's read it together. All right? the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy, O David, a victim, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. So let's read verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above, be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. I love this part. My heart is steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. Oh, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O oh Lord. Among the nations, I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You may be seated. So I tell you what, let's spend some time talking about worship. Let's talk about worship today, amen. I did not know you were here, man. 
<laughs> the whole time I just heard somebody like in worship. Hallelujah. I just heard it the whole time. Man, it's good to see you, David. It's good to see you, man. I did not know you're here. Perfect. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for not just who you are, God, but we thank you for um, just everything that you've done. And we just want to spend time with you today. Uh, speak to us. Not words of man, God, but words from you. Speak to our hearts. And we just open up to you that you may have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The other day I saw an invitation on the internet. <laughs> I saw this invitation, and it read like most invitations. It starts off, checkbox if you will come, right? And the next line said, check this box if you won't come. Then the next box said, check this box if you're saying that you won't come, but you're going to show up anyway. <laughs> And put a stress on our food supplies. <laughs> and then the next box said, check this box if you won't come, but you will show up. And not only will you show up, but you'll bring somebody else who was uninvited. <laughs> Putting more stress on our food supplies. <laughs> if you've ever been a host, you might have had that kind of irritation where people don't respond, but they show up. And those of us, I say us because I've been a little guilty myself, um, who, who don't respond, we don't understand all the time that it's not just for the host to be like, oh, I got this person coming, I got them coming. They're not, we're not just helping them, we're also helping us because usually those of us who don't respond are also the ones who come a little later than everybody else and we might end up not having some food or we might end up not having a seat. So it's not just important for them, it's important for us. So responding helps them and it helps us. It also helps, you know, sometimes we come a little early and then we come, but the people who responded end up coming after us and then they end up losing out. We end up hurting a whole lot of people. So at the top of those invitations, what do you usually see? R-S-V-P. Right? Anybody know what that means? Well, come on, come on. I heard it. What? Yeah, Reponde Civically. I don't have a really good French accent, but <laughs> but basically for us it means please respond. Please respond. Um, and that's really where I want to go today. Today's focus is going to be about the response, our response through worship. Our response in these corporate settings. Um, we have, you know, different ways of responding. We have different places we can respond. We can respond to God at home, you know, through our worship. But a lot of times it's great when we're able to get in one place and respond to a holy God with all of our hearts, with our whole heart. And sometimes we can learn from our kids. Our kids do things with their whole hearts. Now, sometimes they, you know, they, they give us praise and it's because they may want something. <laughs> but they also have a way of just giving their whole heart. Uh, a few months ago, Harmony and I, we were celebrating our anniversary. So we're getting ready to go out to dinner and everything. And 
And our kids, you know, they're, in that, they're at that age now. They're, like, excited with us. Happy anniversary and stuff like that. And, and they're wanting to congratulate us, and they want to praise us and give us a little praise and, and respond with their whole hearts. So my son comes in as we're almost finished and, and getting ready, and he's like, he looks at me with his whole heart. He says, Daddy, you're so fresh. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I feel like, oh, all right, all right. And then he looks at his mother with his whole heart. And that must have been uh, <laughs> something that was lost in translation because he looks up, he says, Mommy, you look a hot mess. And then we're like, oh, we're doing the same thing you did. And he was like, wait, was that right? <laughs> is that good? That's what he said. What? Is that good? No, son, that, that wasn't good. <laughs> that wasn't good. But he responded with his whole heart. <laughs> he responded with his whole heart. <laughs> so we're looking at Psalms 57. Psalms 57 puts us beside a man in a cave with the song. It's a man who has a story that's parallel to this one right over there in 1 Samuel. This is a man who was, 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 grew up a shepherd boy. This is the one who was anointed king. It wasn't time for him to be king yet, but he was anointed king by Samuel. This is the man who was the giant slayer. We're sitting beside a man in a cave with the song whose best friend's daddy has been trying to kill him. We're sitting next to a man in a cave with a song who at one point was really getting the props from Saul because Saul saw what he can do. But once those girls started dancing saying, yeah, Saul killed a thousand, but David killed 10,000. Oh, it was over. Things started flipping and you start seeing Saul being jealous and it just grows. The more famous David grows, the more jealous Saul gets. And so we see David fleeing from Saul because it really got to a point where David couldn't even stay in the palace anymore. Saul and his moods, they're going so crazy that Saul is trying to pin David to the wall with his spear. So what does David do? Flee. And then in, 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 22, in, the, in chapter 22 of, of 1 Samuel, we see David and just left Gath because he's trying to travel and find somewhere to go. And he's like, ah, Gath, there may be something there. They don't like Saul. I don't like Saul. Maybe we can get something rolling. Doesn't work. He has to hurry up and get out of Dodge because they're trying to get him. And, and he's having to play like he's drooling down his beard and all this different stuff like he's mentally challenged. And so he realizes that doesn't work. So he escapes to a cave in a dullum. And then after a while, he does some more fleeing, and then he comes to another cave in En Gedi, which is right there by the Dead Sea. And some of you all have had the privilege of going with Christy over there to Israel as he's taking you over there and you experience that Middle Eastern lens. <laughs> and so he's escaping cave to cave, and he's fleeing. But what we look at right here, what's really crazy is, and no matter what's going on, he's responding to God. He's writing songs about God's faithfulness. 
in his cave experience. He's responding. He's turning towards our God. You ever had somebody talk to you, and while and while you're uh, while they're talking, actually, somebody been you've been talking to somebody, and and while you're talking to them, they're turned like that, like facing that way, and you're like, yeah. So how's everything going? And she doesn't even know I'm talking to her, and that's exactly how they respond to you. <laughs> <laughs> when you respond to someone, it tur- it automatically turns you towards them, automatically. That's just human nature. When we respond, hey, your mom called you, John. You're like, ma'am? <laughs> you just turn. You're automatically responding. And that's what worship does. Worship, as we respond, it turns us towards God. I remember when I called Keith. Keith has been doing some crazy IT things up here for us and, and been making things go really smooth, smoothly. And I remember when I didn't have Keith. And my laptop was just taking, uh, oh, it was taking a beating from me because I was putting it on overload. <laughs> and I remember the day I decided, you know what, this hard drive is not working because most of our computers for over the years, the, com- the, the consumer computers have had that hard disk, that hard drive that rotates. It spins. It just keeps turning, keeps turning, keeps turning. And there becomes a point where you're trying to write information on it. The computer can't write the information on it because it's still spinning. And so if you happen to knock it down, you know, you can mess some things up because it's in the middle of writing. But then they come out with solid state drive. Right. Right. I'm you, <laughs> you already know. What does solid state drive do? It doesn't spin. It doesn't spin. And since it doesn't spin, you're able to do what? Write information, right? Because it's right there facing you and you're able to put data, every kind of information you want to right away. And all of a sudden you can do things 10 times faster than when you were turning. And sometimes we get in life where we're turning and we're spinning and we're doing all these different things. And because we're not worshiping, we're not able to turn towards God. And because we're not able to turn towards him, we're not in a posture to receive everything that he's trying to give us. But if we get in a state of solidity, if we're in a state where we can turn straight towards him and just stay there, all of a sudden, we start getting poured into in a totally different way. God starts pouring revelation in a totally different way. Psalms 57 puts us beside a man in a cave with a song. A man who's confident that what? God will send his what? Steadfast love. Even in the midst of lions. He's like, I'm in the midst of these lions. I'm I'm having to lie down among fiery beasts. I have to lie down. I have to dwell there. When you look at that word, it's like, I have to dwell in this place. I'm not just going there just for a picnic. I'm not in the cave just for a couple of hours to get some shelter. I have to live here. From the palace. To the cave. From all of this greatness to the wilderness. In a place where only these hyenas and lizards and buzzards dwell. I have to live amongst this. Where they have teeth like arrows. He's like, man, the children of these men have teeth like arrows. 
The children of man have these teeth like arrows, have these tongues like swords. And still, what do you see him coming to? This line that he puts in there twice. This chorus that he writes in there. Still, God, be exalted. Above. (laughs) Way beyond what I'm experiencing right now. Be exalted. Be lifted above my experience. Be exalted. Be lifted above the things that I'm really afraid of deep down inside. But when I put my trust in you, oh God, above the heavens be exalted. Now the question is, David... (laughs) How can you be so confident? How can you respond so well? What's in it that's making you respond like that? In order to do that, in order to look at that, I want us to back up for a second. Back up from the story. Back up from Psalms 57. Let's look at this whole Old Testament for a second. When we look at Psalms, when we look at the whole Old Testament, split up into three parts. For our Christianity. For Christianity, it's split up in three parts. Man, I must be really thirsty. (laughs) One is the law. Split up into the law. And the law is when you find, like in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Well, there are all three of them right there. Split up into the law, the prophets, and the writings. When you look at the law or the Torah or what's literally translated as instructions, you see how God is giving his people a manual. Now, we kind of look at it. Sometimes we have this negative connotation of what law means. But I want you to think of it like this. If you were having to fix your car all of a sudden and you don't know anything about cars, you're like me, you bare minimum. And you're stressing through this thing because you're somewhere where there's no help. Your phone is not working or whatever. <laughs> but you're trying to go through this, and, and you really don't have any kind of way of even understanding. It's like, it's like calculus, or it's like this science that you've never experienced, and you're struggling through it. And all of a sudden, I come by and hand you a manual. What happens? You just get relieved, and you're glad to see me. You're glad that I came, Right? <laughs> It's instructions. And that's all it meant. And this is why Israel loved the law. If you read some Psalms, David says, I love your law, God. I meditate on it day and night. I never understood. I'm like, man, you love the law like that? I love the law because, God, you love me enough to help me, to give me instructions so I can stop wasting time over things I may not have had to go through if I had even listened to what you were saying in the beginning. So the law is the manual, the Tanakh, the Torah. And then you come to the section of the prophets where they're telling the story. You have stories and oracles, uh, books like Joshua, Judges, um, Isaiah. And uh, what they do is they tell the story. They give the history. They talk about, hey, how we made it over. Remember when Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh's army? That's how we got through there. And so you see God giving two things. You see God giving the instructions and you see God giving the story. Now, guess where Psalms falls in place? It falls in place in the literature part, in the writings, the wisdom books, books like Job, Psalms, Song of Solomon. And as God is giving the instruction and the history, his people 
are giving the response. And so David is in a culture where they are used to giving the response. Why? Because they're responding to things like the instructions. God, we're so glad that you love us enough to help walk us through this. And then like Henry, we saw earlier, they're responding to what they remember, the history, the story. Oh, what did he say? Oh, yeah, I, re- I, I went to the, the big dance. He said, I, I love Cat Powell. He was like, I remember. I love music. I remember what life was like when I could sing and dance around. And just the mere thought of it turned something on on my inside. And, and not just do I want to respond. I got to respond because I'm alive and I'm energetic. And I just become this other person that I might not have been just five minutes ago. So the law, the prophets, the writings. Now understand, the, 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 uh, the, the Jewish culture, the Israelites, they were an oral uh, culture way before they were a written culture. Way before you see scriptures written, they were passing them down through song. Go figure. And, and now we're starting to see, oh man, you catch those things, hooks, they stay in your mind for a long time, right? Well, evidently, they knew this a long time ago because that's how they're passing down the story. That's how they're passing down the scriptures. But the, we call them earworms or whatever, or it, you may just call it a hook. But those things that just stay in your mind over and over again. So if I tell my kids, twinkle, twinkle, little star, they're going to automatically say, how I wonder. <laughs> Some of you, it's, it's kind of similar to how African Americans pass down the story. When they say swing low, you won't forget it if you've never sung it. (laughs) Or they say, I'm going to lay down my burdens automatically. You already know. If I say fish don't fry in the kitchen, (laughs) 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 temporary layoffs. Easy credit ripples. <laughs> Scratching that somebody. Y'all didn't know that line. Did. It took me forever to know the other line. Hanging in the child. <laughs> but anyway, those things stick in your mind. They stay there because that's just what music does. So Psalms 57 puts us beside a man in a cave with a song. With a man who's actually able to escape his cave within the cave by a response. Here's a question. The question is, does it resemble in any way the kind of cave you may have found yourself in before? I understand. You may not be in some wilderness. We get to see beauty outside. You may not be having to be around hyenas. You've probably never even seen one except for in The Lion King. (laughs) We don't usually see buzzards. We see those little things on the side. What are those things on the side of the road, eating roadkill? We see those. But my point is, what is a cave inside of the cave? See, here's the thing. We walk in here. We get, it's almost like the cave of Engedi where right in that cave, I think there's, there's all that vegetation right around. Then you step out. And the Dead Sea is right over there where nothing organic can even grow. So it's like we come in here with this vegetation right around us and everybody sees the vegetation and everything is good. But really, when we step back from it, 
A lot of us are so close to the Dead Sea. And we don't want to say a word. Because we're thinking that we're the only ones close. That close. We're thinking that we're the only ones at the doorstep of lifelessness. We're thinking that we're the only ones that are too close to rock bottom. I found out rock bottom ain't the worst place. Let me tell you why. I know you're like, whoa, what you mean? Now, the word, rock bottom, they say, what's that saying? They say, you never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. Now, by the world's eyes, rock bottom is basically, you know what? You hit a place of no return. The point of no return, you're not coming back. People are writing you off, and you just might as well give up what you're doing. That's, you know, that's rock bottom for the world. Now, the way I look at rock bottom, <laughs> mm. man, you got a jug. <laughs> the way I look at rock bottom, the, the Christianized rock bottom is like a place where God gets our undivided attention. Rock bottom is almost like the place where the fluff of the world falls off, where all the other stuff, the excess, is gone, and there's nothing there but you and rock. And I'd rather be led to the rock that is higher than I than be sitting up on a hill thinking I have everything and actually receiving nothing. I'd rather be in a place where God can get my undivided attention and everything else that's been having me turn left and right here and there can finally put me in a place where I'm at a solid state accepting everything that God really wants to give me. I don't know what you've done in your cave, but let's look at David. When you look at verse 3, what is he doing? He's being confident in his request for mercy. He says things like, he will send from heaven. He will send his faithfulness. He will send it. In verse 6, he's being confident in his expectation of victory. What did he say? They set a trap for me. <laughs> They fell in it. And the part I love is that next part when he said, my heart is steadfast. Oh, God, my heart, my understanding, my will is steadfast. It's, it's, it's propped up is one way to say it. It's steadfast. It's fixed. It's not going anywhere. My understanding is now in this place. Now, it's interesting how he says my understanding. He talks about his understanding later on in the chapter, but he starts off already believing. Ah. A lot of times we start off trying to understand. And if we understand, then maybe we'll believe. But that doesn't even actually make sense because that ain't faith at all. It's almost like saying the proof is in the pudding and, and, and you don't want to eat the pudding to get to the proof. You just want to go straight to the proof. Well, you got to eat the proof, <laughs> the pudding, before you get to the proof. <laughs> Jack that one up. <laughs> but, but anyway, <laughs> he's saying that my heart is steadfast and he's believing long before he has to get an understanding. And then what did he say? I will sing and make melody. I will worship with melodies and singing. And then the part that lights the fire. Awake my glory. Or, uh, that's another way of saying, 
Awake my whole being. All of me. Not some of me. I know I'm kind of bifurcated right now, but I really need all of me to wake up. Because it's time to grab our instruments, whatever your instrument is. It doesn't have to be the physical instrument, but whatever it is, you're ready to worship God with. Whether it's your hands, whether it's your voice, whether it's your tears, whatever it is. Awake all of me and let's worship God. Let's wake up the morning with our worship. And then where does he go? He starts talking about, um, I want to worship among the people. I want to worship among the nations. I want to worship among the congregation. This is our call for corporate worship. Corporate worship. <laughs> Awake my glory. Awake my glory. All of me. You remember when he came out of a, uh, and he started, you know, the famous scripture where he's talking about uh, where they said he danced out of his robe and everything and his wife was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whether he was right or wrong, <laughs> many people have different opinions. This is what I love, or this is what I feel and think about when God gives to me. If you have to look foolish in some's eyes, not indecent, but if you don't mind looking away that the world might be like, Phew, might do that too, you might be doing the right thing. <laughs> if God is leading you, that's the, that's the key right there. <laughs> if God is leading you, and you're doing something that other people aren't, you ever, you ever, be in, you ever want to raise your hand, lift your hand in worship, and, but you don't see anybody lifting it yet? <laughs> you're like, you start feeling it, and you're like, and then all of a sudden you see two hands go up and you're like, okay, I feel better. It can't be one hand. It has to be at least two, right? And it can't be the one person that's always lifting their hands either. You got to feel like, you know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, because we don't want to look a certain way. Can you imagine what David might have been feeling if you were in the situation that David had been in where all he knows is that he was a shepherd boy one day and all of a sudden, a man came in and said, you're going to be king. God said, you're going to be king. Imagine that. And, then all, and that's over all of your brothers who everybody else thought would have been one of the choices. And all of a sudden, you get ready to be king, but it ain't time yet. And then all of a sudden, you get to the palace. Saul's like, Saul likes you because you killed Goliath with your bare hand. And then all of a sudden, Saul don't like you anymore. Can you imagine that? You're like, wait, wait, what's going on? Then you're in the palace. Then you're in the wilderness. Then you're in the cave. And all these different things are going on. You're in exile. David was in exile almost 10 years. David was in exile in the wilderness for a long time running from a man who was really upset because God had rejected him anyway and he's trying to project it on David. David made some mistakes, put some people on the front line, got them killed, he made some bad decisions and in the end, he's still trying to flee from Saul. Finally, he's able to be crowned the king of Judah but you can't be king over everything yet. We still got some discrepancies. So then after that, he's finally crowned king. He's finally crowned king. He gets ready to get 
get the Ark of the Covenant, gets ready to bring it in because he loves God so much. And as he's bringing them in, the Ark of the Covenant in, one of the guys reaches out and what happens? Touch it, boom, he's dead. Then David's like, you know what? Guess what? I don't even want to deal with all this. Let's go hit the, uh, the Ark, put it over there, Obed-Edom's house. Maybe then I won't be afraid. Then all of a sudden he sees Obed-Edom blessed and highly favored because he has a heart. Then David wants it again, so he starts bringing it in the right time this way. After all of this, can you imagine once he is finally in the presence of the Almighty, once the presence is in that city, once it's in that place, everybody's rejoicing, everybody's celebrating, and he's excited, and somebody is looking from their window saying, it don't take all that. Are you kidding me? Do you know where God has brought me from? Have you been in my shoes? Are you recognizing where you are in your own shoes? What do you mean it don't take all that? Maybe, maybe you should come down here with me. Maybe. Stop looking from your palace window and start worshiping a God who's worthy of everything that we have, our whole being. I'm sorry, I hope I ain't scared any babies yelling. I get, I, I promise I get excited. I promise that you. So 57 puts us beside a man in a cave with a song. A man who doesn't have what we have. Uh, we can sing a song that David didn't write. <laughs> we can sing a melody he couldn't yet sing. What you talking about, John? I want to show you another song. Another song. Flip over the Gospel of John. Let's go to the first chapter. I'm going to read a few verses and I'm going to skip down to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, He was with God. In the beginning, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then let's go down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verses 1 through 18, and yes, I did say song. <clears throat> Come to find out, this is actually a song that they sung in the early church. John actually wrote this. Put this in here as a song. 
blew my mind. I promise it did. Remember, Israel was an oral culture before they were a written culture. Before anything was written down, they were passing things down through songs. And there are other known New Testament hymns. You'll find them in like Philippians 2. You'll find one in Colossians 3. You'll find one in Ephesians 5. But here John is using something that is used in, you see in parables, but you don't see as, as much as the other parallelisms. He's using this rhyming scheme. It's really not a rhyme at all, but it's called climactic parallelism or step parallelism. And what it does is it uses the last word of one phrase and uses that as the next word in the next phrase. So the last word of one phrase making it the beginning of the next phrase. So look back at that for a second where he says, and I'll read from this ESV version, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And you just keep seeing him doing this thing where what he's really doing is trying to step us up, just keep us lifting up, lifting, lifting, lifting us up. Because one of the things that's happening is he's trying to get us ready, kind of what we do in our regular services, where we worship and then the word. He's trying to get us ready for what he's about to say in the Gospel of John because he's about to rock some houses in the Gospel of John. He's about to say some things that are going to make people mad in the Gospel of John. And so it's almost he's using this worship uh, this worship mechanism to open us up and get us ready. But here's where John is really going, because that's just something that I was just excited about. Here's where John is really going. It's an idea that originated in Judaism, and that was that God had been silent for a long time. All the years of God's silence. Now, don't get me wrong. God is acting. He's doing miracles all in the Old Testament. He's, uh, you know, sending people out. He's carrying people through the waters, splitting open waters and, and saying, you know, Pharaoh, you can't do this. And he's sending plagues here. He's doing all of these miracles and actions, but there's silence. And so in that day, they understood that God was silent. That's the way they looked at God. Now, John's contemporaries understood that. And in a world that knew of God's silence, John and the Christian church are crying out, God has now spoken. How has he spoken? He's spoken with his son. The God, as they saw God as being, who had been silent for all these years, the Christians of that day were saying, God has finally spoken with his son. Jesus is the word. So if you say, in the beginning was the son of God, and the Son of God was with God. And the Son of God was God. <laughs> Jesus is that word. And what I'm saying is, if your father is speaking, you have to respond. We have something that David didn't have. We have Jesus. We have the one that Jesus sent after he left. We have the comforter. 
Now, responses are like paint color. They come in all kinds of shades and everything else. But the big picture is this. Awake my glory. Awake my whole being and start responding to a God who has given us so much. Let's ask ourselves this. As I get ready to close, worship team, you want to? If David, who spent so many years in exile, if David, who understood that he made some mistakes, but if David, who God himself said he was a man after his own heart, if David, stuck in a cave, living the life of a buzzard in the wilderness, if David, who could who could have actually killed Saul because he cut his robe, he cut a piece of his robe off, but felt like that was too much. If David, who with all the obstacles he had to come up against, could respond to our God with confidence, not worried about what he understands, but believing regardless of, if David can give a response like that, how much more can you and I, who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, who have been changed, who have been forgiven, who have been on the hands of a merciful God, we couldn't, I don't even know if we could have survived with a lot of the stuff they had to go who get to watch TV, who get to worship God, who get to hear the word across the radio. We have so many advantages that many people didn't have and don't have. And if they can respond the way they do, how much more can we who have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who have the Trinity in full effect, who get to take advantage, who get to experience the Trinity Day after day after day. Let's go and stand up. How much more can we respond? I don't. The beauty of God is that He's so immaculate, He can. Make a million things and none of them be the same. After about 500, I'm probably starting to repeat myself. <laughs> he can make 4 billion people and nobody be the same. And just as he can do that, he can make all these different ways of worshiping him. He can accept all these different ways of worshiping him. And I respect, hear me closely, I respect that we all do life different ways. I respect that we may all worship God in different ways. But here's what I know. If we're not awaking our whole self, I'm one of the, I'm one of the guys that used to be, try to be cool. You know, I, I, when it was time to praise him, I wouldn't mind praising him, but there's certain things I wouldn't do, so I'd rock with my hands in the pocket. You know? You know what a response is? 
A lot of times our response is a display of what's on the inside. <laughs> now, now hear me closely, because I'm not saying because you don't worship, you don't love God. What I'm saying is this, God has placed his seed in all of us. And sometimes we let other things eat away at what we really would love to give God. I don't have a doubt in my mind that we're not here because we want to give God something. The boldness comes when you tell yourself, it doesn't matter what's going on in life. Oh, man. It doesn't matter what's going on in life. I decide to give God my whole heart. Whether I sing, whether I shout out hallelujah, whether I just let the tears flow in front of all the guys that just may look and think I'm soft, you know what, right now it doesn't matter because at some point I need to let it out anyway. There was, oh man, ah, if you break, he'll bless. I remember this guy telling me this 15 years ago. He just kept saying, if you break, he'll bless. If you break, he'll bless. If you break, he'll bless. I'm like, dude, okay, okay, okay. And I remember seeing, I was watching Super Nanny the other day. <laughs> Dang it, I meant to say my wife was watching Super Nanny. <laughs> and uh, this man, this guy, this guy, they, you know, they were having problems with their kids. And the kids were like five, six. And the guy had lost so much uh, authority that he was yelling at his kids as if they were army recruits. I mean, this close, he's like, didn't I tell you something? It sounds funny, but it looked sad. And as the lady started giving the truth, the, the wife was taking it in and, and the man didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. He was just blame shifting. Well, she did this and, and they do this and how do you expect me to do this? Until finally, and he started weeping and he started admitting how horrible he felt for how he was reacting when we break not only does he bless but he changes some things We as people look for so many, we look for answers, we look for revelation, we look for guidance. You know where it starts? It starts in our response. Why? Because God is not moved. God is facing us the whole time. It's us that in our lack of response, we drift this way. Or in our busyness, we drift this way. Or in our chaotic lifestyle, we're drifting this way. God is like, I'm tired. Will you stop turning? Will you please respond? Because I know if you respond, you automatically have to face me. Automatically. So that's all. Please respond. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for the things that you have done for us. But if you never do another thing, we just want to give you our total hearts. We're not naive enough to think that we can walk out of here and all of a sudden every action that we give you will totally be different. But this one thing we do know. We know where we are and we know where we want to be. 
We know where we are in our present walk with you, and we understand or have some kind of inkling of how we want our future walk with you to be like. So our prayer today, God, is that you guide us there. Some of us, you have to walk us through the wilderness to get our attention. Some of us, you may have to allow us to hit rock bottom. We don't want to do it, but we would rather feel the pain of what it has to go through to grow than to be stagnant until the day we die. We don't want that. We want to be with you, and we want to give you all of ourselves. So awaken our glory, Father God. Awaken our whole selves. Awaken our instruments, God. Awaken our praise. Awaken our worship. Awaken our adoration, Father God. So we can give you exactly what you desire. Because when you're saying RSVP, it's not just to bless you, but it's to help us. Help us to turn towards you. In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Let's all sing this song as we get ready to leave, all right? Let's all just spend some time in worship, all right?